Now this morning, as, as Jamie mentioned in her prayer, uh, Jeff Gill will be preaching for us. He's continuing our, our sermon series, in, uh, Revelation in Red. Now Jeff was a pastor for uh, 20 years, and most recently he served as the Dean of Grace Seminary. And so uh, we're excited to hear what he has to say to us, what he has to bring to us from God's Word. So uh, why don't we uh, welcome Dr. Jeff Gill as he comes to preach to us this morning. Oh, it is so good to be with you. I, um, I'm wondering if, like me, sometimes God kind of smacks you in the head with a verse. Ever happen? Yeah, he, he can do that. The, one that. the one that he smacked me with last night at about 1130 uh, was God is opposed to the proud. I shared with you, when I, I think two months ago when I spoke, that I am a graduate of The Ohio State University. And for any of you who are Purdue fans... Okay, here's my shout-out. That's it. That's all you get. I've been a Buckeye fan for 50 years. I have never seen a more miserable defeat. That's terrible. Okay, I had to get that out of the way, repented, confess it to God. I think I'm good to go, hopefully. But that was sad. Anyway, uh, congratulations to the Boilermaker fans. Um, And thanks for being gracious. I know, where's Olivia? Olivia's about as sweet as they come. Olivia's a... Where are you, Olivia? Maybe she was in first service. But anyway, she's a, a, a boilermaker, as are some of my friends, sometimes because uh, I can be a little annoying about being a Buckeye, I guess. Some of my friends text me, um, very kind, what I like to refer to as Christian trash talking. I mean, that is a bit of an oxymoron, but we do it. Some of my buddies and I do it. So anyway, uh, thanks for being gracious, because we all need graciousness, don't we? We need grace from one another, certainly from Jesus. Um, you know, one thing that I, I think about, and I know one of my daughters is here in the audience, but uh, one of the things that I've heard from my daughters and I've heard from other young men and women who are now adults, married, potentially raising their own kids, it's like, thanks, Mom and Dad. I didn't know it was this hard. It's like... Okay, so maybe a note like this has come your way. I'm talking to my fellow empty nesters for just a moment. Dear Mom and Dad, thanks for putting up with all my drama. Sorry I was so difficult during that season of my life. Teen years, maybe. Thank you for showing me grace. I now see and understand how much I needed it from you. Those are nice notes to get. Maybe you've written a note like that. Maybe you should write a note like that. But you know, sometimes the attitudes and actions of people that we really love are not okay. They aren't okay. I mean, my default is always if I can be kind and, and, and loving and encouraging and say positive things to you about you, I'm going to always try to go there first. But sometimes you and I are called by God to speak truth, and sometimes that truth is hard. Amen? And it's not well received. Even when you share it with tears in your eyes, even when you share that hard truth, because it is absolutely what is needed most by that person you love. You know, Kondo um, has just been doing a remarkable job. He always does. (laughs) going through the seven churches 
in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And he invited me, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you this morning about the church in Thyatira. It's the fourth church that Jesus talks about. Revelation chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. If you have your Bible, why don't you turn there, if you would, please. And we're going to see a church that had some wonderful things they were doing and some not wonderful things that they were doing. Doing, And what I've been reminded of in our series on these seven churches that the incarnate Jesus is speaking to, what I've been so challenged and reminded of is he is gentle Jesus, but he also speaks strong words to his children. And I think that's because we need it sometimes, don't we? Revelation chapter 2 and the... Uh, the words will also be up on the screen. Verse 18, To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like burning fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. These are wonderful words of commendation to the church, aren't they? I want to give you just a teeny bit, just a real short background on the church of Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira was the smallest city of the seven churches that Jesus addresses. And the kind of claim to fame in Scripture regarding Thyatira, besides this passage, is the one about Lydia. Lydia's hometown is Thyatira. So in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, here's what we read. It says, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us, and then jumped down to verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Now many believe, and I, I would agree with them, that it's very likely that Lydia's house became the house church, and Lydia's house became the church that's being addressed here by Jesus in Thyatira. Now, what I find it interesting, and again, there is this pattern that we've seen as we've studied these seven churches, that Jesus always begins with kind words. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing well. And in their case, they were doing many things well. You know, he basically uh, reminds them of just many good things, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. The fact that you're growing, the fact that you're getting better as a church family, is a good thing. But have you ever noticed often when people begin with encouraging words, positive words, complimentary words, there is a word that follows, and it's the word, but, but. You ever get emails like that? Paragraph one, this is how you write emails. We call it anti-flaming, right? Say all the nice things. All the nice things. And it's good to hear nice things. It kind of gets you, oh, thanks. Oh that's, not, oh, that's so nice. Thank you. And then, but, 
You know, when that happens on your performance review, that's, that's when it's really bad. You hear the, but. But haven't you noticed with me that that seems to be Jesus' pattern? He has many good things to say about these seven churches, but there are problems. There are issues. I wonder what the but is in your life that he, or nevertheless, that probably sounds better to say nevertheless, nevertheless, that he uses here. You know, he loves us so much. And we are his children, his beloved. We are. And there's so many things that I believe our Father is proud of regarding you. But, you know, that might be something only you know. What is it in my life, what it is in your life, that is the nevertheless? There's a couple things you and I need to have a really personal talk about, Jesus says. And so that's what we see here. So look at what he says as he jumps in to verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate, oh, what a word, what a key word. You tolerate that a woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idol. And some of you are saying, Jezebel, I know that name. I've heard that name. Wasn't she like a bad girl? Like big time bad girl? Yeah, that's exactly what she was. Jezebel. Hey, if any of your kids are going trick-or-treating this year, don't let them dress up as Jezebel, okay? Well, just, just make sure that, you know, she is off limits because she was one bad girl. She really was. In fact, let me read you a little bit about her. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah... Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians and began to serve Baal and worship him. Now what's so fascinating is the sin, the sin that the church of Thyatira is being uh, rebuked for from Jesus is that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. And did you notice that it says, who calls herself a prophet? What what scholars say, agree 100% with them, is that there literally was a woman in this congregation who was a prophetess, who was wielding incredible influence in that church. Now, most aren't sure that her name really was Jezebel, but she was the essence of Jezebel. She was the spirit of Jezebel. And did you notice with me, and I'm going to talk about this several times during, during my message this morning, that these two sins, the sin of idolatry and the sin of immorality, were sins that she persuaded and influenced Ahab, her son, the king of Israel, to engage in. In fact, it's so fascinating to me, if you take those two sins, immorality primarily idolatry. You see them throughout all of Scripture, right? 
that's what you see throughout all of Scripture. In fact, in some ways, in pagan worship, immorality was a practice of their idol worship. And it just, it's throughout all of Scripture. And if you study books like the book of Judges, if you study many, many of the prophets, you see over and over again, God's people were drawn to idols and idolatry, and that led to immorality. I mean, this was a prof- these were two profound uh, sins that had been inherent in the nation of Israel for, for generations, and now it has crept into the church in Thyatira. The word that jumps off the screen, I have it here in italics, is the word tolerate. Oh, what a word for our day. Tolerate. You tolerate her. You may not agree with her, but you tolerate her. You may not like her. You might try to avoid her, but you tolerate her. Maybe it's because you don't want to appear unloving, uncaring, judgmental. Any of those words sound familiar? You tolerate her. And in your tolerance, the church is being corrupted, is his point. I got three, um, three observations this morning that I want to make sure you, you, you see here with me. And the first one is this, that tolerance is acceptance without God's standard. Tolerance, as we define that in our society, is acceptance, everything's fine, without God's standard. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and I better not try to impose my truth on you. Sound familiar? Isn't that the the culture we absolutely are now completely uh, engulfed in? Tolerance here is acceptance without God's standard. Here's the deal, my brothers and sisters. Some people want to say tolerance is the same as grace. You know, you you Christians are so mean. You're so judgmental. You're so unkind and ungracious because you say what I believe is not right or true because you say God doesn't say it is according to the Bible. And I say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I say as a Christ follower. See, here's the deal. Grace is not the same as tolerance because grace, biblical grace, does not remove God's standard. You with me? Listen to this incredible verse, one of the most amazing verses in all of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, who's him? That's Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God can extend his grace to you and me, sinners as we are, to be his very righteousness because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. A penalty had to be paid. Jesus paid it. And when you and I say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. You paid the penalty for my sin. I receive that by faith. I embrace that by faith. Thank you for forgiving me and dying for me. Then God pours his grace out. That's not the same as the tolerance that we hear about in our culture. 
Because there was a standard and there was justice that was required. That's an important point. So here's the struggle (laughs) for a lot of people, for a lot of us, I'll include myself. Here's part of the struggle. Um, Why are we afraid? (laughs) Why are we afraid to speak up? Why are we afraid? I'm assuming sometimes you are. I absolutely am sometimes afraid to speak up, to speak out to a person I love dearly who absolutely is choosing sin and making sinful choices. I absolutely believe that sometimes the most gracious thing I can possibly do another believer is to sit down and with gentleness in my voice, with tears in my eyes, say, you are in sin and it needs to change and you need to repent. And you know, when was the last time we did that? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. But that's just, that's hard for us to do, isn't it? Even though that may be exactly what is needed. I think of some of the most profound seasons of spiritual growth in my life. It's when somebody who loved me dearly, dearly shot straight with me about my arrogance, about my sin about off-the-cuff comments I might have made trying to be funny and I really hurt someone, about how selfish and self-serving I can be and to the detriment of other people. And that person, because they loved me well, you know that proverb, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy? You know, sometimes, my dear friends, we need to hear it straight. We do. And when we say, oh, you can't confront, that's so unloving, well, then I'm not sure that we're always being as much like Jesus as we need to. Some of us say, say, I I could never do that. I mean, I'm sorry, I'll leave that up to the, (laughs) I'll leave that up to the really people without much of a filter who can shoot straight, you know, I'll, I'll let them do that kind of thing. No, sometimes they don't have the relationship with that person who will listen to you like you do. You know, I'm one that, I like to be a nice guy. How about you? I like to be a nice guy. I kind of blame it on being a middle child, you know. I'm number four of six kids, you know, kind of lost in the shuffle. I shouldn't say that. That sounds terrible. Middle children are awesome. We are. But we're always vying for attention and we're harmonizers and all those things. I kind of fit that textbook. So my wife, my daughters, and others would say, Jeff's a get-along guy. Just just a get-along guy. He just, he likes, he's friendly, he's nice to everybody, and sometimes that has been a real curse. That sometimes my personality, my temperament, my desire to, to be friendly and kind and nice and popular has gotten in the way of me sitting down with somebody and with tears in my eyes saying, the road you're walking down is the road of absolute destruction because of sin in your life. And I've done it. Actually, I've done it quite a bit. I don't like it. Sometimes God uses it in unbelievably powerful ways. And prodigals come home. (laughs) And there's feasting. And there's rejoicing. 
You see, the problem with this part of the church in Thyatira is they were tolerating, they were tolerating pagan theology and worship. And I don't know if it was because they don't like to rock the boat, don't want to be unloving, don't want to be called judgmental. They were saying nothing. Has that happened to you in your workplace? You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit's just like, it's like really inconvenient what he wants us to do, isn't it? Sometimes the Holy Spirit just says, say something. Come on, say something. I know your position is not the majority position at work. You might be the only Christian. But say something. You know why I have you there? Because you're my missionary to that group of people you work with. To that neighborhood where I've placed you. And you can say something with kindness, with humility. But stand up for Jesus sometimes. That's what he wants us to do, amen? He really does. And sometimes he gives us incredible opportunities to do that. And we need to... Jump with me down to to verse 21. Jesus is continuing to speak. He says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, and she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Whoa. Gentle Jesus. <laughs> Jesus with, with the little sheep on his shoulders. Yeah, he is that. He's also this. He's also this. Yet they are unwilling. Let me give you my second observation. Unwillingness is freedom without repentance. Let me tell you what I mean by that. This hardness of heart, this unwilling to repent is what they are being chastised for. You know, by the way, Kondo did an amazing series. I thought it was fantastic on freedom in Christ this past summer, Galatians chapter 5. If you haven't watched it, please do. We are free, free in Christ. That's such a beautiful thing. We are not under the law, the Mosaic law. We are free in Christ. But you know what we can do with our freedom? We can say anything goes. I'm free. What's the big deal? I can do kind of whatever I want. And we call that license, right? That's what Paul is attacking in Galatians. That's what Paul is attacking in the book of Romans. You know, just because you are free and just because you've been given freedom by the grace of God in your life and you're not bound to keep the law, doesn't mean you can send it up. Seriously? Doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. And part of what the church at Thyatira was being rebuked for by Jesus is their unwillingness to repent. Their unwillingness to repent. We all blow it. We all mess up. And God wants us to repent sometimes. An unwillingness, believing that unwillingness is freedom without repentance. No, I'm free in Christ I don't have to live solely by a to-do and to-don't list, a do's and don'ts kind of list. 
but I'm not free to sin. I'm not free to justify that. You know, one of the things, and, I, and I've already touched on it, but I, I think it's really important. One of the things that I noticed as I was studying this for this morning and thinking about these sins, these sins of idolatry and immorality, my mind went to what's called the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Some of you are familiar with that. So Paul and Timothy had been out on their first missionary journey. And some of you who have studied the book of Acts know that as Paul and Timothy kind of went all over the place, all over the Roman Empire, where there were thousands and thousands of Gentiles, many of those Gentiles were coming to Christ. They were. They weren't Jews, though. They were coming to Christ. And there were people in the Jerusalem church, and they had infected other churches that said, oh, salvation is not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus circumcision. You got to become a Jew. You have to take on the sign of Judaism and then believe in Jesus, then you're okay. That was part of the problem. And so Paul and Timothy, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas went before the council in Jerusalem and just gave testimony after testimony after testimony about how Gentiles were coming to Christ and the Holy Spirit was falling upon them, and they were being saved. And thankfully, one of the seasoned apostles of the church in Jerusalem, his name is James, said, we're not going to put a burden on the Gentiles that they have to become Jews first. You know, the Jerusalem Council, Act 15, was one of the most profound moments in the history of the church. Because if they wouldn't have gotten that one right, well, many of us probably wouldn't be believers Many, 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 many of us wouldn't, but they got it right. And I want you to see what James says that became kind of their statement in Acts chapter, what's in the book of Acts, it'll be up on the screen. In verse 28, it says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to, look at what he says, you are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols from blood from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality so the main message was it's not jesus plus it's jesus period that's the message but make sure because of what james knew was the temptation of people make sure they avoid idolatry make sure they avoid immorality and for me, there's something very telling about that, that the reason why James needed to put that in there is this is where we're prone to sin. You know what an idol is for us today? It's not just necessarily something you stick in your living room and bow down to. <laughs> A few of us, if any, I hope do that. But an idol is anything that takes the place of Jesus in your life, right? That really is ultimately what an idol is. It's something you worship more than him. And immorality is a deep, deep part of our sin nature. Look at verse 24, back into our, in our passage in Revelation 2. Verse 24 goes on to say, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep, deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you 
except to, I love these words, except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. Observation number three. Holding on is trusting God without a net. (laughs) Or I could say it this way. Holding on is trusting God without a plan B. Or I could say it this way. Holding on is trusting God without an escape hatch. Holding on is, Jesus, it's you and me. I am certain that some of you are in a holding on pattern right now in your life. Your life is really hard. You're going through crazy hard stuff. And there is great temptation for you to say, the heck with it. It's too hard. This is too demanding. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand. I've tried to live sincerely before you, God, and my life just gets worse and harder. I've had times, through confession, I've had times where I have said things like this to God. I'm pretty blatant, pretty unbridled with God in my prayer life. I'll say it that way. Hopefully respectable. Have you ever said these things? God is not fair. God is not there. God does not care. Does that sound a little bit like Dr. Seuss? You know, when I put that together, I said, that's a little Dr. Seuss-ish, you know, if that's a word. Yeah, it kind of is. God isn't fair. God doesn't care. God is not there. But have you ever felt that? Not fair. Any of you hear that in your household this week? Not fair. That is not fair. You ever feel that way? You know, sometimes we think that the Christian life is as long as I read my Bible, go to church, and I'm a good person, and I'm nice to people, then I'm kind of, (laughs) God is obligated to give me a really good life. Great kids, great marriage, great income, great job. Even my football team wins, you know, whatever it might be. And we just say, that is not fair. God does not care. If you were loving, I know it says God is love, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it, Lord. God is not there. <laughs> I feel so abandoned. You know, the psalmist was open and free to share how sometimes he said, God, where are you? Where are you? Those are the type of things that tempt me to say, hold on, really? I don't think so. I don't think so. When I, when I hear this phrase, hold on, I am not a rock climber. I probably never will be. But I think of those incredible people that climb rocks, and it's like, it's like there's an inch thing they're holding on to with their fingertips. It's like, seriously? <laughs> you do? That, that's called fun? You know, they have these amazing strong hands. They'd probably crush you if they ever shook your hand. But it's with their fingertips. Do you feel like you're holding on with your fingertips? Sometimes that's all we got is our fingertips. And that's why we need to say, Lord, please, please strengthen me. Help me. Help me to fixate my mind on the fact that you are love. You are real. You are for me. 
and help me to hold on. Because that's about all I got. This is not fun. Living for you right now is not fun, Lord. You ever say that? I say that. But it's true. It's living life without a net. It's you're it, Lord. You're it. There's nothing else I trust like I trust you. But I don't get it. This is not fun. But hold on. And do you see what he goes on to say? You get to be partakers of the kingdom. You get to be inheritors of the kingdom. One of the words is you're victorious. Another translation is you become an overcomer for the kingdom. You get to rule and reign with me and my kingdom. So hold on. Be faithful. Don't quit. That's his point. Wow. And then he says something. (laughs) That is so incredibly beautiful when he talks about being the morning star. And I'll talk about that in a moment. I want to share with you, this was really an amazing thing. It was about three years ago. I have a friend that I was talking to, and, and I had some tough stuff going on in my life. And he said to me, I want to send you a document, Jeff. Here's the name of the document. He said, it's called an exercise to help regain control of my life. And his point was that through anger and bitterness, we can give other people, the people who have created that anger and bitterness, the people who have hurt us, betrayed us. We can give them so much power in our lives, can't we? Here's what this says. Question. This is the little document. Question. To whom am I willing to give power to tell me who I am and what I am worth? Today I choose to give that person power over my life. To invalidate my calling, demean my identity, and control my emotions. You may make me sad, discouraged, helpless, and angry. I give you permission. Help me to become callous and distant. I willingly give you power to rule over my life. Thankfully, there's an alternative. To whom am I willing to give power to tell me who I am and what I am worth? Today, I choose to give Jesus, power over my life, to validate my calling, to deepen my identity, to control my emotions. I want Jesus to help me to understand myself and to increase my sense of love and joy and peace. I'm thankful for your help, Jesus as I seek to exercise self-control over my life. I take option two. I need option two. And then that last verse, this is just so beautiful, verse 28. I will also give the one, these are Jesus' words, I will also give that one the morning star. And you say, the morning star, huh, that sounds a little familiar. Revelation chapter 20, verse 16, I, Jesus, 
have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. He's just saying, hey, I give you me. I give you myself. And I'm who you need to hold on. It's Jesus. He's the one we need to hold on. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come out at this time. And I just kind of want to wrap up my message to you this morning with two little, two little challenges. The first one is we need to learn how to speak up for Jesus and truth. And the other one is we need to let go of things that may be controlling our lives that aren't him. We need to speak up. We need to not tolerate things that God says is wrong and sin and ask for courage. And we need to let go of whatever that might be in your life that's creating anger if you have one or two or more or bitterness, or resentment, or desire for revenge. Because, my friends, that is bondage. That is bondage. And our bright and morning star wants to free us from all of that. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that your words to us are not only loving and encouraging, but they are strong and they are convicting as well. We thank you that you're a savior that's willing to say the hard things to your children because you so desperately want us to love you and honor you and reflect you and how we live our lives. Thank you for that. Help us to listen. Let the one who has ears to hear, verse 29, hear, listen. And may that be us, Father. And Lord, would you help any, any dear brother or sister in Christ this morning who is here, who is allowing a person or an addiction or whatever it might be to have so much power over their lives. Father, help them to give that power to you and to hold on to you as you free them and restore that joy and restore that peace and restore that life that is fruitful for you. Thank you that that's the kind of Savior you are. In Jesus' name, amen.